in a constantly changing world. Today is as simple as it gets. You're listening to The Leadership Enigma, a podcast to explore, experiment, and power up your leadership to make the difference to your business, your people, and your success. Whether you're an entrepreneur, business owner, or corporate executive, each week we dig deep into global experts, academics, rising stars, ambitious upstarts, and disruptors. Now, here's your host, Adam Pacifico. So welcome to another episode of The Leadership Enigma, and I have really been looking forward to this one. Now, this episode is called Control the Controllables, and I have a question I want to pose to our listeners. How does someone with terminal brain cancer get through a full Ironman, or indeed a number of full Ironmans? And in order to answer that question, I'm delighted that I've got Richard Wright with me. Richard, welcome, and thank you for joining The Leadership Enigma. Adam, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor and a privilege for me. Um, And I've also been looking forward to this one and uh, delighted to be chatting to you. So thank you so much. So Richard, just before we go into your incredibly powerful story, just tell the listeners what it is that you're doing at the moment. So you've got three three or four key bullet points that I think that sum up who you are and what you're doing right now. Uh, So I am a professional speaker. That's what I do full time. Uh, but I call myself a transformative storyteller. All I really do is tell my story, and it's something I'm extremely passionate about, and that's my purpose. Uh, I've just written a book called The Power of Purpose, and then I'm trying to keep on doing events, endurance triathlons, um, and some mountain bike events, and that's pretty much me in a nutshell, apart from the fact that I'm a very passionate father of two girls. Which is brilliant. And we're looking at each other at a moment on video as we do this particular podcast, and I can see what the listeners can't, and that is some wonderful Iron Man awards, I think, just above your head on the shelf there. So uh, I think there's at least three or four that I'm looking at. Uh, so that, that was, that, that's back in my heyday. Um, <laughs> I remember something I used to be really good at. Um, I have uh, come 16th overall. Um, in that's my best position as an amateur athlete competing against professional athletes, won my age group a number of times, qualified for world champs. It was something I was really, really good at and something that I had to let go of when, um, when I got cancer the first time. And that was quite a struggle for me, letting go of everything I was yeah. and trying to navigate the space of who am I now? Well, I think that really is a lovely segue into what is a deeply personal and inspiring story. Um, that really has led us to this podcast. So can I ask you, you know, to give us an outline of, of that journey, that, that challenge, which was for many uh, the ultimate challenge, but tell us about that. So it's, um, I, I was diagnosed with a tiny tumor on my pituitary gland uh, many years ago. In fact, we were trying to fall pregnant, um, my ex-wife and myself, with our right. first daughter. And uh, it, was, it was benign at that point in time. And for 12 years, I was able to control it. Uh, medicated and it would shrink uh, and then kind of go away and then would come back again back into medication yep. and at that time so four years ago uh, a little bit longer than that actually the end of 2015 found out that it had grown substantially and that's the first time that my name and cancer appeared in the first in the same sentence right but it was an instant not me there's no ways uh, absolutely no ways I, I, I can't have cancer and I think I was so determined that I was going to, I'd entered Ironman South Africa and I was so determined I was going to go and complete that event. And I think more than anything else, it was to try and prove to myself that if I can do that, if I can get to the finish line of an Ironman, I definitely don't have brain cancer. 
Do you think and that was I, a defense mechanism piece there, Richard? For sure. That, that, that is definitely a big theme in my life. You know, when, when things are, when things are tough in my life in, my, in myself, I'm just going to go and beat my body up on the, on the road somewhere. <laughs> and, and it's going to make me feel better. And I'm going to somehow get to the other side and think, well, there we go. You know, I'm, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm bulletproof. So, but in this instance, I wasn't bulletproof. I managed to get to the finish line of that event. And five days later, I had to go in for a lumbar puncture. The only way to determine brain cancer, you can't determine it through a blood test because of the blood-brain barrier. Oh, right. And um, at that point in time, I found out that I had uh, cancer. And I'd already done the unthinkable, the stupid thing in that I'd Googled. That's what we do as soon as we get some symptoms. Never Google an illness. Exactly. And the worst case, I mean, you could, you could have some intermittent pain in your elbow and headaches from time to time. And you put that in and Google says death. <laughs> Yes, Dr. Google's diagnosis. <laughs> yes. So I had, unfortunately, and, and the news wasn't good. It was like, if you, if you have got this form of cancer, say your goodbyes, because you, you're not going to be around. And who survives this thing? It's that rare and that aggressive. And again, it was that doubt of, surely not. And I went in, literally, we, we rushed the results through. And the doctor had said, if it is this cancer, we, we, we're taking this out straight away. Um, and I waited in the rooms for three or four hours and the results came back and I went straight to theater. And, wow. and when I came out, all I wanted to know from the doctor was, you know, did you get it all? Did you get rid of this thing in my head? Yes. Um, it was transfernodal surgery, which is non-invasive surgery that drill up through your nose. And um, so the news, it was like, oh, I'm pretty confident we got it all. So immediately it was, ah, oh, Richard won cancer, none. And, um, but then I had to have radiation uh, six weeks later after the brain, uh, the, the, the scarring had healed. And two weeks into the radiation, we did an MRI and we found out at that point in time that the cancer had already spread and it spread to the underside of the brain, the fourth ventricle, and there was another lesion on the pituitary gland. And at that time, um, I was told I had six months to live. Wow. And that, that, was, that, that, was, that was rough. That, that was a really, really hard time. Uh, I think it's almost impossible not to become a victim at that point in time, no matter what your beliefs are, no matter how hardcore you think you are, no matter you know, how, how, how much you believe that you will survive anything at that point in time, it's kind of, wow, okay, uh, this one's got me. How do you shift away from feeling like a victim? Because let's be honest, if you're given that news, you in that moment are a victim. Is, is that a fair comment? I don't know. I mean, guide oh, me on this. You, you absolutely are. So I, th I think any of us can relate to something like that, that whenever your life is turned upside down, and, and we like to use the term disruption, and it's a good term, but when your life is disrupted to, to that extent and, and everything that you know is turned upside down, yeah. it's very hard not to feel like you're a victim of whatever that thing was. Could be the circumstance, could be job loss, could be economy, could be an illness it could be an accident whatever it is and at that at that moment um you are a legitimate victim i've had one of my favorite quotes um naomi judd and she wrote that you can only ever be a victim once thereafter you're a volunteer it's an amazing quote it's an amazing quote but having said that yes you're a legitimate victim of cancer and richard you've got six months you're going to die from this uh, you can't you can't suddenly think well okay, i'm a victim when i first got the news okay legitimately and now tomorrow what am i, am I not a victim anymore am i now a volunteer um at, at, but at some point in time whether it takes you a, a couple of weeks whether it takes you a month whatever it is at some point in time that realization of okay hold on two seconds 
um, I, I, I'm, I, I need to get over this feeling of being a victim. And for me, um, there are a number of events that, that helped me that first time. One of them was a, a long chat I had with a good friend of mine, and he, he's, he's quite a stoic. And he was talking about Friedrich Nietzsche and the concept of amor fati, which is Latin for embrace your fate or love your fate. And so, Friedrich, so, so embrace, say that again for me, Richard. Embrace your fate or love your fate, amor fati. Um, and, and, and Nietzsche went on to say, because it is in fact your life. And until you can embrace the stuff that you can't change, um, and, and now we're hitting on the, the title of this, of this yeah. chat, Control the Controllables. When, when you can, when you can how, how do you accept the things that you cannot change? And, and part of that is having to accept it and not only accept it, this is my life. So embrace it, embrace it. Because until you can do that, you can't move on. But the problem, Adam, is that we spend so much time, whenever we have been disrupted by anything, we, we spend, spend so much time on the obstacle, the things that are standing in the way, this adversity, whatever it is. And the more we focus on trying to overcome that, the more, the more I focus on becoming a hashtag cancer warrior. Right. Uh, there isn't a I wouldn't try. There wasn't, you know, in, I would do anything. And I mean, we wouldn't to overcome this thing. But, but because, because I was trying so hard to fight the cancer, um, I became more of a victim of it. And, and I think that's what happens. Right. The more we focus on the, the thing that, that is standing in the way of where we see our lives and, and, what we were, and everything we've lost, uh, we become more of a victim of it. Uh, and so that was a very, very important step in, in facing this massive disruption is that moment of, okay, hold on two seconds. I, I need to, cancer isn't my life. So there comes a time when, when we are facing off something that's huge and it's disrupted our lives, it sometimes takes over our identity and my life became all about cancer. So right. instead of Richard, who is a father and athlete and a professional speaker and a bunch of other things, oh, and he also has cancer, uh, my life became cancer. And that moment was delivered to me. Um, I'll never, ever forget this moment. And it's, it's an amazing story, um, but it really was an incredibly poignant moment in my struggle with cancer. I picked up my two girls from aftercare. It was the last week of radiation and I was really struggling. So after they found out that the cancer had spread, I had another five treatments lumped on. So it was 35 treatments, seven weeks, continuous weeks of radiation. Right. And the problem is they're hitting the same spot in your brain over and over and over. And uh, this, it's just the swelling. Uh, it just gets more and more and the headaches, but it can't go anywhere because you know, your skull. So it, it was excruciating. And I picked up the girls from aftercare and my eldest McKinnon, she was 10 at the time, said to me, Daddy, I'm really sorry, but I've got this uh, project um, and it's due for tomorrow. And now as a parent, you understand, and I know you've also got kids, that there's a problem with that sentence, Adam. Uh, that, you know, that homework is the stuff that's due for tomorrow. And projects are the stuff that's due for, you know, sometime <laughs> in the future. <laughs> yeah. she, was, she was very apologetic and said, Daddy, I, I'm really sorry. I don't know what happened. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, what is it? So she said, well, we have to put the solar system together. You have to go to a craft shop and we get these polystyrene balls and they're all different sizes. And then we have to measure them out all out like the planets and we have to paint them like the different planets. And, and then we hand it in. And I'm like, tomorrow? She says, yes. Like, oh. So, you know, I think it's that project where, and I'm sure you relate, it's, it's at 10. It, it's, not the, it's not the project you allow your kid to do on their own. Um, with any major results, they can, some some artistic direction is probably all that you yeah, give them. Yeah, no, definitely no power tools. <laughs> no, not at all. So, 
I was thinking, well, and I think it's that project where you painstakingly put it all together and you do the research and you get that quite proud of yourself. And as they get out of the car in the morning, you know, drop them off at school, you, you gingerly hand in the project and say, you know, be careful with that. It's a masterpiece. And then when, they, when you pick them up after school, you don't, you don't ask them, you know, how was your day, love? And who did you play with? And did you eat all your lunch? It, it was, what did, what did I get for the project? Yeah. Gold, <laughs> silver, or bronze. <laughs> It's one of those. Um, and then you, you're completely, you know, dejected and frustrated and disappointed and dismayed when you find out that she gets tw- 18 out of 20. It's like, did, did anybody in the class get more than that? You know, who are they? Anyway, it's that project. That's good. That's the competitive oh. side of you coming out now, Richard. Oh, I'm not competitive <laughs> at all. <laughs> so off we go. And I'm slumped over the steering wheel um, at a major intersection waiting for the traffic light to change. And uh, I'm really battling. And this little voice pops up behind me from the back seat. And she says, Daddy, are you okay? And I said to her, sure, like, um, I'm really battling. But let's just go and get this thing done. Uh, when I get home, I, want, I just need to lie down and sleep for a bit. But I'm okay. And again, the silence. And then the little voice popped up and she said to me, Daddy, nobody said it would be easy. And I whirled round. Uh, where did that come from? Where did you hear that? You never heard that from me. Did, did your mom tell you that? Did, who told you that? And she got defensive and she said, Dad, I'm really sorry, but I just, I don't know what else to say. Wow. And Adam, I still don't know to this day, you know, where that actually came from. But all I do know is that it's exactly what I needed. It was the, the kick in my pants from my 10-year-old daughter saying, you know, Dad, if you keep on focusing on this thing, if you keep on thinking the way you're thinking, carrying on going forward, you know, I, I, don't, know what, I don't know where you're going to land up. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's it. You know, it was that... A lot of people ask me that question, you know, how do I, how do I carry on when I feel that my life has been that disrupted or I feel beaten or I feel, uh, I feel that I, I can't find, uh, my options are limited or I don't quite know how to move forward. And so Richard, it sounds, fun. sorry, so, so Richard, it sounds as if it's, it's okay to feel like and be the victim for a period of time when you hear such traumatic news that's okay but it also sounds from your story that you've got to get out of that phase as well and it maybe took your 10 year old daughter in the back uh the voice of great wisdom in a 10 year old to almost snap you out of that phase for sure none of us we're all human and part of being human is being fallible and part of being human is the emotional roller coaster um you know the feeling brain versus the thinking brain yeah um but at some point in time uh, there comes a time where you've actually you know, you, you, and it's hard. You've got to make that cognitive decision. And, and I think, you know, what it is for me is when the, when the level of discomfort gets that high and, and we all desire change, we all just, you know, it doesn't matter what that is, we desire change. And so often we hear the same people saying, you know, I really want to lose weight and I, I really don't, I hate myself, I hate my body right now. And, and you kind of think, okay. And then a couple of months later, you're having the same conversation. And I think the question you really want to ask that person is, at what point does the level of discomfort have to be that high um, that you're actually going to do something about this? Right. And I think that's what it is for me. It is I do, I wallow. Uh, so, so, so just to very quickly, and, and there's so much more we can talk about than the cancer journey, but I went into remission and six months later, cancer came back. Almost a year later, we went into remission and then the cancer came back. Um, and every time it was harder to have to deal with because I, you know, I'd survived this. Another knockback, another knockback. Wow, it was hard. And each time I, I spent, I, I spent a, a substantial amount of time, uh, in, in one instance, almost two weeks uh, wallowing, 
uh, where I, you know, I didn't leave my bedroom, my bathroom, and my kitchen. That, that was that little triangle. And I cut myself off from people. I just I couldn't face anybody. And I just needed to, you know, I was sucked into my own vortex of negativity. But, but that's sometimes natural, really natural and necessary, maybe, Richard. It's necessary. It's completely necessary. Um, but at some point in time, you've got to make that cognitive decision and choice that um, this behavior isn't serving me. And if I, if I want to, if I want to become the disruptor yeah. um, out of the space of disruption, um, you know, what are the things I can control and, and how can I change my situation going forward? How did, you, for- how did you snap out of that two week period then? What is it that you did or, or yeah, how, how did you manage to navigate through it? So, so for me, my go-to place, uh, as we alluded to in the beginning, is the, is the exercise. That, that's, the, that's the one place where I feel if I can do this, if I can do this, I think we do hard things because it enables us to do harder things. Right. And I kind of felt if I could put on some running shoes and literally just walk around the block in my neighborhood, um, I was doing something. Uh, and in that way, I was, I was overcoming the thoughts in my head and I was doing something that was going to serve me. So, so it very definitely is that. So I'm a firm, firm believer that our thoughts determine our perception. Our perception determines our reality and our reality determines our behavior. And right. I think we work so hard at trying to change behaviors and trying to change our actions. Um, and we often fail. And the reason we fail is because we are changing our actions and behavior with the same thinking that we came in with. Um, but when we change the thinking, then the actions actually and behaviors come naturally. That, that changes on its own. So what, what, how can you change the thinking? And for me, it was um, after that the chat, you know, the first time with my 10-year-old, yeah. um, I entered an Ironman. Uh, I thought that if I can do this thing, if I'm going to beat cancer, I, I, need to, I need to go to my place of you know, power. Where, where, I need to reclaim my power. Where's that place for me? This is putting you back in control in some ways, didn't it, Richard? That's exactly what it did. That's exactly what it did. What can I control? Um, and, and I think years and years and years of being an endurance athlete, um, focusing on, uh, and, and I've, I've primarily trained on my own. I'm not a big fan of training in big groups. I, right. I like on my own it's my thinking time it's my alone time but it's also my time of being able to control so no matter how bad things get i'm really good at being able to control my head and my, my, my mind um and push forward um and, and there are a couple of things that i do there there's but self di- there's some self-discipline in there richard well, there's a lot of that and, and that's really what that place is and okay. and i know we, we we've heard it said over and over that the the hardest step is the first step out of the door if you want to go and run you want to go and cycle whatever you know change your life go to gym whatever it is the hardest step is the door the the, the one out the door and it's overcoming that mental struggle and the mental battle um and if you can do that that's the thing for me is i know i'm going to beat the thing in my head by using the thing in my head um that, that was intuitive to me so um it literally was it was entering an iron man and thinking well the finite thinking the box of finite thinking i was put into with this disruption was the labels of cancer, the brain cancer, what I read on Google, what the doctors were telling me, the survival rate, the treatment, those are all very finite things of what you can, what you can't do, what is going to happen to you. And and all of those things were what other people were going to, were telling me about what my story was going to look like. And taking control back was saying, but hold on two seconds, whether that's true or, or, or isn't true, that's in the future. And how can I control my now? Um, well, I need to test the limits of that. And how do I do that? Well, I still get out there. I need, to, I need to look at something different in my future. I need to 
I need to be able to project myself going forward into not, not a box in the ground, but or a little urn somewhere, but a, a finish line of something. And if I can go and do a nine man with stage four brain cancer, I can beat brain cancer. Uh, that's what that thinking was for me. And, and when you talk about the now, what is the now at the moment for you? So, so beaten, sorted, and, and, and interesting thing. So last year was a really, really rough year. And um, I, I, there was experimental trial chemotherapy drug from Israel that six love, six love, uh, out the park <laughs> in my body. It was just nailed me to the ground. And I developed a, a, a brain bleed and I had seizures and um, the, the, the chemo really messed up my lungs to the point that I was battling from a breathing point of view. I had a bronchoscopy right. because they were worried that the cancer had spread. It was a really rough year. And I only managed to enter one race. There was a half Ironman. Only one? Only one. <laughs> People are listening, listening to this thinking, what do you mean you only did one? <laughs> yeah, but, but wait, there's more. <laughs> this race with no training. No training. And, here's the and thing, hang right? on, before you just, just, just help everyone understand what an Ironman consists of. Because let's just put Ironman, no training. What does it consist of? Let's just deal with that. Okay, so I know, you, I know you work in miles, I can't help you there, but, but in kilometers, um, and a full Ironman is a 3.8 kilometer swim, yep. it's a 180 kilometer cycle, and it's a 42.2 kilometer run, it's a full marathon, um, and a half Ironman is exactly half of that, so it's a 1.9 kilometer swim, it's a 90 kilometer cycle, and it's a 21, it's a half marathon run. With no so, training, and having to deal with all of this treatment that you outlined. Correct. Okay. So now... I had fear, um, I had big fears. And my obstacles as I saw them last year, June, were number one, I've got brain cancer. Number two, I've got some pulmonary issues I'm battling with breathing. Uh, number three, I've done no training. And number four, this has been the issue of a brain, brain bleed and some, some seizures. So uh, for the first time, I was really, really worried about just getting to the finish line. Um, and the thing with Ironman, and this is so true with everything in our lives, whether you think you've got 17 hours to do a full Ironman in, immediately your brain's thinking, that's like a full day, right? <laughs> wow, that's a long time. So whether you think you can do it or whether you think you can't do it, you're 100% correct. And what stops more people from doing an Ironman is the idea of this thing that is so big. Right. But here's the thing. There are very few people that don't make the cutoff. Very few. Um, because you've got ample time to do it. And there's a cutoff after the swim and there's a cutoff. You've got a certain time. But you've actually got enough time to do this thing in. You can swim it pretty slowly and still finish. You can, you can do the cycle at about 22 and a half kilometers per hour, which is really pedestrian, but you're going to have to do that for 180 kilometers. <laughs> and, then, and then it's like, but I've got to run a marathon. No, nobody said you had to run it. The rules are quite clear. You can run, you can walk, you can crawl, just keep moving forward. You've actually got enough time to walk the entire marathon without running a single step and you will still make the, the, the finish line. But I've got to ask a question, Richard. I've got to ask you, what's been your best time then for that extraordinary sequence of events? A 9.16. 9.16, okay. So, wow. so, so it's, but the winners come in at, at around about 8, 8.10, 8.15. So, and then it's quite a big, you know, the, the, the sort of top 20, and then there's a bit of a, then they get staggered, like any race, and there's a bit of a gap. Um, but, and it depends on the course. There's some courses that are quite, quite hard. So one of the one of the races that I entered um, throughout this journey was Ironman Wales. It's in Tenby, 
And I know it. I know Tembe. It, oh, it's spectacularly beautiful. That was, that was one of the reasons I wanted to go there. It's also billed as one of the races with the best supporters. Um, and and it, wasn't, it wasn't a letdown. Um, but it's one of the two hardest Ironman races on the planet. Okay. Because it's so hilly. And the year I went there was apocalyptic conditions. It was gale force winds and rain the entire time. It was that sideways rain that when you're squinting your eyes, it somehow still gets in there and stings you like little needle pink. <laughs> right. Good old whales. Good old whales. It was horrific. It was, it's, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, and with cancer. But I kind of figured if I could do that, if I can do that, I can beat cancer again. Anyway, back to last year. So I'm standing on the start line and I've, I've legitimate fear of all of these things. And, and here's the interesting thing, Adam. The minute the starter gun goes off, and, and whether you, uh, it's a, an exam, whether it's a tennis match, it doesn't matter what it is, this thing that you've, this build up to this event, as soon as you start the event, all of those feelings, the anxiety, the, the tension, go, the stress, it goes out of the window. Right. Because all you're concentrating on doing is the actions of what you need to do now to get to whatever this finish line is. Controlling the controllables. There we go. And that's the important thing. So here I am in the water and I had a great swim and I'm lucky. I've done a lot of swimming in my life. I was a swim coach for a long time too. So it's the easy part for me. And I was loving the conditions. It's quite tropical in, in Durban, South Africa. Mm-hmm. The water is quite warm, the Indian ocean. And um, about a hundred meters from the beach, the exit, uh, I sort of looked behind me to breathe and, and I felt that the water was pulling me back and I'm like, Wait, what is this? It's like a wave. And, and the conditions were quite good. But I looked behind me and the next minute, this massive wave is sucking me back. And I thought, I'm going to get dumped. I'm going to get dumped by this wave. So immediately I pushed my arm forward and it kicked like hell to try and get move forward. And think I might be able to surf this wave out, you know. That's yeah. And that's not how that story ended. <laughs> essentially, essentially what happened, I landed up uh, my shoulder. Uh, this excruciating pain as the water took my, to my, my arm and threw my body over and planted my face as I saw the, the sand coming Ah, planted right. my face in there, my goggles smashed against my nose, blood coming out of my nose, my lip was cut, my goggles were gone, um, and my, my shoulder was dislocated. Wow. And I came out of the water, and then the medics came to help me, and there was a medical vehicle on the beach, and came to have a look at me, and the doctor says, well, it's a dislocated shoulder, I think, but we need to look. We're going to have to take your wetsuit off. And I was like, I'll die in my wetsuit. <laughs> you can it's so tight, and this pain was so excruciating, you know, just... I couldn't imagine them getting this wet suit off. And in struggling to get it off, and I couldn't use my arm, and I'm pulling back on my hand to try and get some resistance so the doctor can pull the, the, the wet suit off, and then it, it pops back in. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Wow. It's fixed. And it's fixed. And then the nurse comes along, and she says, no, well, you need to do some debridement on your nose. There's some stitches. And I'm like, no, 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 no. just painkillers. Just give me some painkillers. And the doctor says, no, 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 no. At that point in time, one of the officials came along and took a picture of me on their phone and said, we're going to DNF you. Did not finish. We're going to DNF you. You're not finished. Right. And I was like, no, hold on. Can't we just, you know, fix this? Anyway, long story short, um, I managed to get back into the race. Uh, that wouldn't give me any painkillers. And somehow I managed to finish the race. And... Uh, about a month afterwards, this thing still wasn't healing and I was still worried about the shoulder and I finally went in to go and see a, a surgeon and uh, he said, this, I'm 99% sure you're okay, but because you're a swimmer, let's just do an x-ray. Yep. And the results came back and he started laughing. He's like, There's something, there must be something wrong with you because this isn't just a dislocated shoulder. 
it's a broken shoulder. It looks like somebody, in any of you humans, it's a ping pong ball and somebody's put their thumb in it. And the top is gone. Um, so here's the interesting thing out of it. Number one, when you want something badly enough and it's that important to you, you will get through anything. So, yeah. and I'm not different to anybody. And you might say, Richard, you're a bit nuts. And I really am not. Finishing that race meant that much to me showing my two little girls that their dad was going to be okay. He was going to be able to survive cancer. If I can do this, girls are going to be fine. Yeah. That wasn't that important. Getting to that finish line for myself was that important. And then secondly, an obstacle really is the thing that you see when you take your eyes off the goal. The law of attraction states that whatever you think you're going to attract more of. And when you're focusing on cancer, you're going to get more of that. Um, you're going to get more of that negativity. And when you're focusing on the, 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 the obstacles you can't see the goal. So, so for me, the finish line is, is that, and, and just now I want to come back to that because I think that that can help a lot of people in terms of how do I become the disruptor. Mm -hmm. um, and then, but the last point I want to make about that. And again, it's one of my favorite quotes and it's attributed to Mark Twain, whether it's true or not, I'm not entirely sure. Um, and he's the speculation is that he said, I've suffered some terrible things in my life. Some of which, have actually happened. Yes. Whether he said it or not, I couldn't really care. I just really dig it. So let's think about that. All those fears, all those obstacles at the beginning of the race, the, the brain cancer, the, the, the pulmonary issues, the lack of training. Do you think that I thought of any of those things during that race? No, I didn't. So, so much of what we worry about, looking into the future and, and things that we, you can't control that stuff. Uh, at all and the more you think about that the more you become a victim of it uh, all you can really focus on and all you can really control are the things that are within your control you know people say to me quite often um, how on earth did you manage to get through a full iron man a half iron man uh, with brain cancer or with a broken shoulder i got through a number of full iron man events exactly the same way that anybody else in that race got through them one swim stroke in front of the other, one pedal stroke in front of the other, and one footstep in front of the other. There, there were no special rules for the cancer guy. There was no shortened route for the cancer guy, no extended time for the cancer guy. You know, and, and that's, I think that's what we try and do is we, we look at everybody else and we compare ourselves to everybody else. Yeah. You know, and as soon as it's something different, well, how can I compare myself to other people? Well, every journey is an individual and unique journey. And if you want to become a disruptor of anything, the only thing you can control is yourself. It's leadership of self. Yes. You only become a leader by leading yourself. And the only way you lead yourself is to lead yourself in your thinking, choosing those thoughts. And for me, it's that important. Then in a race, I break it down. So this, this journey called life is too long for us to look at finish lines that are too far. Have an idea of where you want to go for sure. That's the, that's the, that's the 17 hours that Ironman finish. But if I think of the finish line and I'm standing on the beach before I even get going, mind blown. It's just too big. Yeah. I've got to break this race down to, I've just got to get to the first boy in the water. It's chunking it down, isn't it? This is chunking something down. Exactly. And right. how do I get there? I control my, things, my, my thinking. What does that look like? Well, I can't, I can't control the other swimmers. I can't control the other athletes. I can't control the water temperature. I can't control the currents. I can't control the weather. I can't control the route. I can't control whether I'm going to get a puncture on my bike. I'm going to have a mechanical. I can't control that stuff. I can't control what's going to happen to my body. The only thing I can control is my thinking. And my thinking is push forward, glide, pull under the water. 
breathe? Are my feet up in the water? Are my hands equidistant? Am I sighting? Am I swimming straight? And then when it's really, when the trips are down and there's always going to be pain and suffering, second half of the marathon is it gets, it gets dark. And at that point in time, I don't even want to count down the kilometers because the minute I'm focusing on, okay, I'm on kilometer 17 out of 42, then again, it's, I'm just making this thing harder than it should be. Um, I've become a disruptor by disrupting my own thinking. And that is, I, I actually say I'm mentoring to myself. I'm strong, feeling good, strong, powerful, strong, feeling good. And I say it under my breath. So if you watch a video of me in an Ironman, yeah. it looks like I'm speaking to myself and this guy must be a little bit loopy. Uh, and I am speaking to myself because our brains are only capable of holding one thought. We can't multitask. We, we fast switching between different thoughts, but we're not multitasking. Right. Um, and we can, only, we can only hold one thought. And if that thought is I'm strong, feeling good, our brains are the most sophisticated filtration system on this planet. My brain is going to filter in everything that agrees with the thought. I'm strong, powerful, strong, feeling good. And it's going to filter out everything that doesn't agree with that right. thought, which I put there. So by controlling those thoughts, I'm again, law of attraction, I'm going to get more of the same. And I concentrate on just doing that. And I concentrate so much that I don't want to be, I don't want my thinking to be disrupted by anything else. So again, control of the controllables. In an Iron Man, your name is printed on your race number and it's going to be worn in the front around a race belt. Yeah. And it's Richard. And the spectators are amazing. And it doesn't matter how terrible you look, Hey, Rich, you're looking good, buddy. It's like you're lying. <laughs> hey, Rich, you're almost there. It's like I'm on lap two or four. <laughs> but almost. But almost. Amazing. But you feel like you want to reward them. And you want to say, oh, thanks very much. High five. But every time I do that, I'm switching my concentration, the things that I can control, to somebody else, to something else. And I've got to work harder to bring it back and be in the moment. And that's the power of now, the now. This is the one, mm -hmm. this is the only thing I can control right now. So what I do is I flip over my race number and I tuck it in so people can't read my name. And that way I'm literally, I'm looking at the ground about five meters in front of me and I'm focusing on that thing. I'm trying to block everything else out. Um, and all I'm strong, feeling good, strong, powerful. I'm, I'm concentrating on this, just this next footstep. And if I can do that, I can step do by step, more. step by step, as you say, stroke by stroke. That's what it is. That's leadership of self. Uh, it's been an absolute privilege talking to you. And this is an inspirational story where there's so much. And I hope that we'll get so much feedback from listeners as well. I'm also hoping that you'll come back and, and uh, share some more on, on the Leadership Enigma uh, in a few months time as well. I mean, the world is going through a, a crazy place. But uh, it, this feels in, in some ways, I've got a couple of uh, questions for you, which I haven't told you about, which I always ask people towards the end. I know you're, you're thinking of what, what, what could happen now. Um, the first question may actually be redundant because I say to people, what's your favorite hobby? Now, everyone might be thinking, well, it's going to be Iron Man, but it might not be. So what is your, your favorite hobby? Wow. So, so right now, and it changes. So I've painted quite a lot of my life. Uh, pictures you see behind me, that's me um, writing wow, okay. a lot. Be creative, but right now my favorite hobby is um, we've got two Australian shepherds. One is four and a half months old, and uh, that's my favorite hobby right now. A lot of time taken up with the training and the dogs, and I'm just loving the energy that comes back from amazing dogs. Oh, that, very cool. I love that. I'm a dog, dog owner and dog lover myself, so I'm, I'm with you on that. So also, you said you were an author of a book, so you might like this question. What's your favorite word? Rad. Rad? 
bad. So I've, I've got a, I've got an identity arm, um, and I went through cancer. A lot of identity struggles with self. We spend our lives trying to become everything the world demands of us. Our parents, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, who you need to be to attract your spouse, your partner, your job, and we become all these things. And then when somebody tells you you've got six months to live, all of a sudden you don't need to be any of that stuff anymore. You can be the most authentic version of yourself. Yeah. But then, then the little existential crisis develops. Well, who the hell am I then? So I started an identity arm. I am. Um, now you're pointing to your arm. There's a number of tattoos on your on your that's right arm. I am, and then a whole bunch of words. And then red is there, and it's R with a dot, and an A with a dot, and a D with a dot, and it comes from my daughters, um, and it's from there. It's radically awesome dad. Oh, this is red. But um, I, a lot of my life, I'm, I'm a radical optimist. Um, and being a radical optimist, radical, I think a radical of everything. Radical is my favorite word. Brilliant. And my last and final question to you, and this is very, perhaps very poignant in the context of the story you've told, is I, I've always asked the question, what would be your best advice to a 21-year-old Richard? Wow. Yeah. Um, oh, I love that question. So I, I wish, I speak a lot at schools, um, and I talk to, speak to young people and talk about identity. And, and my life has been, and this probably haven't even got into, um, I, I've spent a life struggling, low self-esteem. And I think it's part of what the Iron Man is for me. I was bullied a lot at school, um, teased, bullied, and I was a wimp and a crybaby. And, um, and, and I think the Iron Man is, well, if I can do that, I'm not a wimp and a crybaby. If I can do that, right. brain can get me. So I, th- I think it would be, who are you? Uh, what is your why? And I'd like to, I'd like, I, I wish I could go back to being 21 and having those discussions with somebody um, and, and to figure out me and the confidence to, to, to be authentic and to believe that I am enough. Um, so, so my advice to any 21-year-old is go on that journey of self-discovery. There's, right. that self, there's that leadership of self and then discover that you are just amazingly enough so this has been a pleasure, a privilege. I hope that you and I will meet in person soon when we can actually get on planes. And I hope you'll come back to us as well. and We can have another conversation. As I say, we'll probably be post-COVID-19 at that point, whatever the world might look and feel like. Uh, but it's been absolutely extremely kind of you to spend so much time with us today on The Leadership Enigma. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. What an absolute pleasure. I absolutely would love to be back. And also, I can't wait to meet you in the flesh. Um, and thank you for hosting me. What a privilege. Thank you. My pleasure. Join us again next week for more essential insights on the Leadership Enigma. We'd love to hear your comments on today's show, as well as suggestions for future topics and guests. Get in touch with your host on LinkedIn or via our website, www.pca-global.com. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Thanks for listening.